Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Again, so we're going to look at the Christmas story found in Matthew chapter 2. And what I love about these first few verses of chapter 2 is that not only does it tell us the Christmas story again, but it really gets at the heart of what worship is and what worship is not. So let's read Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be up here for you. I'm going to over here. I better. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together... All the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them out to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on the way, and the star that they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We come before you just with grateful hearts that the gift of Christmas is that you came near to us, that you are here with us, that you sent your son Jesus. And God, we thank you for that. Our prayer this morning is that you would just open our hearts and our minds and while this passage and this story is familiar, Lord, may it just fall afresh anew upon us. And may you speak to each one of us specifically through your Holy Spirit and draw us unto yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) I love all the amens. That's awesome. Uh, As we take a a close look at chapter 2 again, and you're thinking, Mark just preached on that on Christmas Eve, and he did. He did a great job. Um, And he also shared about the manger scene that uh, our manger scenes are probably not fully accurate in that the, the Magi would probably not be there at that time. So when the, the birth of Jesus, and we have the shepherds and everything, um, but as we just read, the Magi arrived later. And again, most of the time we, we picture them there you know, kneeling with the newborn baby Jesus. But again, in reality, most scholars believe 
that um, there's a good chance that he wasn't a baby, that he was more like a toddler, that he might have been around two years old uh, when the Magi finally arrived to meet him. Remember, they traveled over 800 miles to get there. And now for me, that kind of changes, that, that dynamic changes the story a little bit. Um, and just think about it. For those of you uh, who, and some of you are here, that have two-year-olds, um, some of you um, have had a two-year-old, or you know some two-year-olds, or you know maybe adults that might act like two-year-olds at time. We all know that two-year-olds have just this uncanny ability to do some things, like throw a fit like no other, right? To toss food with the best of them. Or when the parent goes to pick them up because they're throwing the fit, they're tossing the fruit, to just kind of go limp and say, okay, good luck, just drag me out of here. And it's easy to see where they get their nickname, the terrible twos. All this is say is that the magi are bowing down, and when they do so, they're doing so to a two-year-old. They're bowing down to a toddler saying, we worship you. So if Jesus, again, was a toddler at that time, again, it would be more accurate if we added the Magi to our manger scenes later. So right now, you guys, I don't know if you've already packed up your Christmas stuff, but you will be soon. But in a sense, we could add them to the scene a little bit later. Now, the Magi showing up has just a massive universal significance. And I believe that we're here today because of the significance of the Magi showing up and worshiping Jesus. And the reason I say that, that is so significant, is that the Magi, they weren't Jewish. Here, God had sent this group of men, Gentile men, to tell about the birth of Jesus. And them showing up to Jesus' birth then meant that his birth wasn't just for Israel, but it was for all people. It was for you and me. And in verse 3, we see the Magi, and they came asking the question, where has the king of the Jews been born? And we read that when King Herod heard that, he was disturbed. One of the reasons he was disturbed is because he was known as the king of the Jews. See, Rome had given him that title about 40 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And when the Magi show up, Herod quickly learns that they aren't looking for him but they're looking for somebody else. Magi, they didn't come looking for a standard king. They came looking for something, someone different, someone more significant, which the star had led them to and the prophecies had told them of. And then in verse 4, we read that Herod calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law together, and he refers to Jesus as the Messiah. Where is the Messiah to be born? See, no one ever called Herod, Herod the Messiah. The Jews wouldn't have called him the Messiah. Because Messiah means the long-awaited, the God-oriented ruler that rules over all and will establish God's kingdom forever. Not just for a, a few years, again, but forever. That's what the Magi were looking for. And... And we see here that at the heart of worship is one who we seek, isn't one who um, has titles that were given to him by humanity, but there are titles given to him 
from heaven. And worship is ascribing Jesus the authority that he is, has authority over everything, giving him the honor and the glory that he deserves, and then worshiping him with just joy and great excitement. And as I think about that, I wonder, is our joy, is our worship filled with joy and great excitement? Do we have that desire to say, I want to worship the one who has all authority over all circumstances in my life? Now, understandably, some of us have circumstances right now where we are hurting and life is hard and it is miserable. And when we wake up, we just feel completely immersed and weighed down by our circumstances. But instead, what if we took a comforting approach and we woke up and we knew on a personal level that Jesus has complete authority over the circumstances in my life, that he knows me, that he loves me, that he's going to walk through whatever I'm going through with me. Again, that's what worship is. It's ascribing Jesus the authority over all the circumstances in our lives. And in doing so, then, living with joy. <clears throat> now, on the other hand, in what ways might we misconstrue worship? Well, when the announcement comes to Herod, again, it says he's disturbed but it wasn't just Herod, it, was, uh, it says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with them. Now when it says all of Jerusalem, it's referring to the religious leaders who are over those, their people. And why was it so disturbing? A part, because again, Herod had this massive identity issue. He had just a little bit of a control problem. And history tells us that he was very fearful of having his authority being overthrown. So he's living his life through this fear. And because of that fear of being, have his authority overthrown in verse 16, it led Herod to do the unthinkable and to send out a decree that every boy under two years old and that in Bethlehem be killed. So we find that Herod had this, this self-centeredness and this control issues and as I was thinking about that, I think for us too, that when we get focused upon ourselves, I'm not saying that we might have the control issues that he had to that degree, but I believe we miss the opportunity for joy to reign in our lives because we're focused more upon ourselves than we are the one who gives us joy. Another way in which we misconstrue worship is modeled here by the religious leaders. The religious leaders in this story, they had just this, an abundance of self-righteousness. And notice what happens. Herod asked the leaders the question about the Messiah, the one to come from Israel, their, their own people. And, and the leaders, they knew the answer. They knew the prophecy. They knew the right answer to give. But notice that they did nothing else. They didn't ask further, deeper questions like, has the Messiah come? 
Should we too be searching for him? Should we be rejoicing? They didn't look. They didn't ask the Magi, can we go with you? And like the religious leaders, I believe we too, we can know all about Jesus. But when it doesn't impact our hearts, we miss out on joy. Uh, My wife, Tara, loves me, and I'm just grateful for that. And I know that she loves me. And as I enter the day, I know that, and, and I'm secure in that. But the problem happens is when I go through the day and that knowledge doesn't impact my heart or my actions. And when that happens, I'm missing out on the full joy that we could be experiencing in our marriage. But when that knowledge of her love does impact me and my actions, it changes not only me, but our marriage. That knowledge then transforms my heart. And the truth is, I believe that if we're honest, that it's easy to become just lackadaisical in a sense about Scripture. And sometimes when we hear a sermon that, again, we just heard a sermon on Matthew chapter 2, or we've heard that familiar text so many times throughout our lives. But Jesus didn't come just so that we would have knowledge that he came, or just for us to hear his word, or just for us to know his word. But Jesus came so that we might have new life, and that we would be changed, and so that we then could go out and make an impact for the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you, uh, as we enter into 2019, uh, it's just to, to dive in to God's word, to, to, to soak it up. But again, beyond that, and even more importantly then, allow it to transform your heart so that you can become a person who's experiencing just rejoicing in your life. And when you do, it will change who and what you worship. In verse 10, then notice the Magi. They saw the star, and it says they were overjoyed. And I love that Matthew used that word, that they were overjoyed. He didn't just say, oh, and they were happy, and oh, great, there's the star again. No, they were overjoyed. They were pumped to see it. They were so excited that the star that had brought them to Jerusalem is now going to guide them to Bethlehem. And this caravan that caused such a great disturbance in Jerusalem is now in Bethlehem, and it's outside the house of Mary and Joseph where Jesus was. And when the Magi enter, what do they do? They approach Jesus and they bow. People that had this incredible status level all of a sudden go to the simple and they get down on their knees and bow. Now, the Magi, again, as we all know, didn't come with minimal gifts. Uh, it's not like they went out on Christmas Eve to the local 7-Eleven, right? Like maybe some of us have done to get that last-minute gift. But they came with valuable gifts of great significance. Again, they gave gold, a, a, a gift that was fit for a king. 
and, and frankincense, a gift that would be given maybe to a priest, and myrrh, an oil that would be used to anoint a body at burial. And friends, as I, I, again, as I have studied and looked at this familiar text, I am just blown away by the passion of the Magi to find Jesus. It was a passion that just fueled them on this incredibly long journey, and I'm guessing it had to be a dangerous journey. Here comes this caravan of folks from the east, and I'm sure that there might have been robbers hiding, thinking they probably do have treasures or gifts that we could get. So who knows what the journey, but this passion fueled their journey. A passion that brought them before a ruthless king that was known to execute people fairly quickly. And they say, we're not looking for you, King Herod, we're looking for another king. And a passion that continued to, to fuel them as they went to Bethlehem to eventually bow down before a child and present him with their gifts. That kind of passion should make us ponder our own passion for Jesus. Is it truly our heart's desire to know him? Would we be willing to leave everything behind to meet Jesus and to follow him? Are we willing to lay down our lives, to bow before him in a posture of worship, discovering that Jesus is our Savior? When the Magi found Jesus, they presented him with gifts that were symbols of their hearts. The question for us is, are we willing to do the same?